So I'm sure you heard this about the dog. Got in an accident with a lawnmower and lost its back leg. And then as a puppy got in a fight with a raccoon and lost its tail and its right eye. And went swimming in too cold of water and lost, lost its hearing in the left ear. And someone looked at the dog and asked the owner, by what name does your dog go by? And the owner said, Lucky. Oh, bad identification. Um, I went to the doctor's office and he said, have you had your um, whooping cough shot? I said, no. Uh, have you had your shingle shots? I said, no. Have you had your tetanus shot? I said, no. Have you had the variation of five different COVID shots? I said, no. But I told the doctor, just relax. I identify myself as someone who has. He didn't buy into it. Now, likewise, my taxes are due April 15th. I'm not going to file them, but I'm sure that um, in May or June, I'm going to get a nasty letter from the IRS. My response is, I identify myself as someone who has <laughs> sent in my forms, someone who's applied. Never mind, okay. Uh, today, I'd like to ask you, when asked about to describe yourself, what do you say? What would you say if I asked you to describe yourself? Would you say that you're athletic, that you're smart, that you're kind? Would you say that your career defines you? If I asked you how to define yourself, how would you? I come from a wonderful family. Some people identify themselves by their sexual orientation. Do you identify yourself with your political party? Or though that's those that you're going to vote for or not vote for, how would you identify yourself if I asked you? Would you be the role in your family, a mother, a grandmother, a father? How would you identify yourself if I asked you that question? Because, by the way, how we identify largely makes up how we live our life. How do you identify yourself? So, many years ago, my lovely wife, for my birthday, bought me tickets to go see the Cleveland Browns play at the Kansas City Chiefs when I lived in Missouri. Now, you know the team I root for, right? I was excited. And that was back in the days of Marty Schottenheimer and Mack and Biner and Bernie Kosar. And the Browns were maybe descending a little bit and the Chiefs were ascending a little bit. And there I went to the game and I was all pumped up. So I had my Browns jersey on, I had my Browns sweatshirt on, had my Browns cap on, had my Browns um, uh, pants on, my sweatpants on, even had brown socks. I went to Arrowhead Stadium, it's a beautiful stadium by the way, to watch the Browns play. 20 nothing at halftime, the Chiefs at the end of the game, the Browns lost 34 nothing, worst loss in their history, and I was there. But, but, that, but that wasn't a problem, by the way, be careful how you dress in opponent stadiums, okay? Make sure you sit with a lot of likewise fans, fan, but we didn't. And man, did we get razzed. And the other thing, walking out the stadium, I couldn't take anything off and I couldn't put anything on because I had what? Brown stuff. And make matters worse, in my car, I had a number of Browns displays. Worst mistake I ever made. So from now on, if I go see my team play in a away stadium, guess what I'm bringing? I'm bringing their coat to put on over me in case we win. But that was the case of not having the right identity. Um, talk about identity and brands. Uh, these are all brands that you know that have been renamed. So I, let's see if you can guess these. Does anyone know what back rub might mean? What company that might refer to? Uh, by the way, it's only the most successful company in our history. It's worth 1.7 trillion, can you guess? Called Google. Or Kadabra, anybody know what that is? Now, somebody got that the last service. I'm sure that you've had a packet put on your front door in the last few weeks. Amazon, very good. And Blue Ribbon, uh, number two 
most identified logo in the world. Uh, let me give you another hint. Um, Eugene, Oregon. Nike. Let's do some more. These are all rebranded renames. Brad Drink. They won the Cobalt Wars. Pepsi. Uh, you'll get this. Peter's Super Submarines. There's only like two or three in town. What? Subway. That's an easy one. More difficult, Jerry's Guide to the World. Think about Amazon. Think about Google. Anyone know what this is? Another search company. What? Yahoo. And finally, uh, we don't eat this. German toast, especially during World War I. So the name was changed to, say it, French toast. All have been renamed and relabeled. Eric Klopp, um, what do these have in common? Okay. Well, there's a Xerox machine. And that's what? Kleenex. And put that on your lips. What? Yeah, uh, that's right. That's, uh, I can call it lip gloss, call it chapstick. And finally, what do we know that as? But see, here's the thing. You identified those as items, but they're really companies. And now we just don't identify them as items or companies, they're action. Uh, go Xerox this for me if you're old enough to remember. I gotta put some chapstick on. Labels mean a lot. Eric Clapton sung a lot of wonderful songs. And I've heard the songs for decades and never knew what it meant. Let me go ahead and share the lyrics with you. Would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? Would it be the same if I saw you in heaven? I must be strong and carry on because I know I don't belong here in heaven. And when Eric Clapton apparently is singing with a very heavy heart, and he doesn't even sure, even though he loves this person very much, if that person would recognize him in heaven. And for us believers, we know we're going to recognize each other in heaven. And then he even goes on to say, I'm not sure that I even belong in heaven. He's a man who suffers with an identity crisis. He needs to hear the gospel that Jesus died for him. Does anyone know why he wrote that song? Do you know why? His little four-year-old boy by the name of Connor, when he came home from work in Manhattan, Connor slipped out of his uh, babysitter's arms and went to go see him out the window, and he slipped out the window to his death. But do you see the identity crisis? Connor, would I know your name if I saw you in heaven? And I'm not even sure if I belong in heaven, identity crisis. But talk about identities. You heard this in the Old Testament lesson. Abram and Sarai and their identities, who they are. And we're going to hear about, we're going to hear about a blessed covenant, a name change, new identity in Mark. Can you all read this with me? Your name will be called Abraham. For I made you a father of many nations. And we don't know Abram, we know Abraham. We don't know Sarai, we know Sarah. But what we do know is that God made a promise to Abram, the idol worshiper, the pagan, that all nations would be blessed by him and his covenant. And you and I believers sit here today because of that. And then God said... I'm going to bless you so much. I'm going to fortify this covenant, this promise. That I'm going to change your name to Abraham. Your brand's going to change. Your identity's going to change to be a father of many nations. And for you, Sarai, I'm going to change your brand. I'm going to change your name. And you'll be the mother of many nations. Do you remember God told Abram, walk out the tent, and your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky, or as many as the sands in the sea below. And I will give you a new identity. And from that identity will come the Messiah. And from that Messiah comes you and I, believers, who belong to that covenant and that promise. Name changes a new identity. If we read the book of Genesis, 
God changes his name. When he creates, he is Elohim, the Mighty One. When he relates to people, he is Yahweh, God. But here in his covenant, with his mercy and grace, he's known as El Shaddai. I'm sure you've heard of Amy Grant's song, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. See, God changes his name. He rebrands himself for the God purposes. And Jacob, the deceiver, is now known as Israel. And we can go back to Saul in the New Testament, the murder to Paul the servant. They're rebranded and renamed for the task that they are given. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. You ever sung that song before? Father Abraham. You know what I mean? And sometimes if you're a teacher, you like to sing with the kids because they get moving and stuff. It's easy to learn. You move your right arm, left arm, and you turn around and you do all that. And it seems to be a song in which our kids can blow off some energy and so yet religious. But that song is probably far more religious than any of us would care to matter because when we say that Abraham is our father, we are saying that we are part of the covenant of Abraham, the father of many nations, and Sarah, the mother of many nations. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, but I'm a girl. The promise is still for you. And then we say this, and I am what? One of them. So for the person who sings this is making a confession that goes back thousands of years that I'm part of that covenant promise, I'm part of that identification and rebranding, and I'm one of them, and so are who? You. When our children sing that, that's far more profound than just a song that gets them to move their arms and legs. For you and I, believers, we are sons and daughters of Abraham and Sarah. We are part of that covenant that God has made. We're given a new identity. So let me explain this. And so in the Old Testament, God said, you are part of my covenant of Abraham and Sarah. I'm going to fortify that. I'm going to mark that as by circumcision. Now, no offense, but for a guy who teaches eighth grade confirmation, it's never comfortable talking about what circumcision is. Okay? But God said, the men will be circumcised and that blessing will be given to women and that will be my mark and no Hebrew and no Jew would ever be found without being circumcised on the eighth day. Hence our baptism font. Go ahead and look at it. Eight sides on the floor, eight sides of the font. Why? New Testament circumcision, more importantly, eight days. Seven days creation, sin. One day Jesus rose from the dead. So circumcision was the mark of being part of my covenant. And for us believers, it's found where? Say the word. Baptism. So people ask me, hey, pastor, how did the baptism go last weekend? If you don't know, my granddaughter got baptized. Winifred Faith Eckhoff. Instead, Pastor Anderson didn't use uh, a shell like I used. He used his hand. Same covenant promise. Now in the New Testament, it's baptism. A covenant relationship with God that we're one of his children, given and sealed in baptism. Read this with me. You, Christ, who is the power and authority, in him you were also circumcised in putting off the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by hands, but done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through the faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. So in baptism, it's a circumcision of the soul, united to Christ's death and resurrection. Sometimes people ask, why do you Lutherans baptize babies? Well, why were babies circumcised in the Old Testament? Because they became part of the covenant and the promise. Same reason now. And by the way, we really can't dodge this. 
Baptized in whose name? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so last weekend, my granddaughter, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Friends in Christ, anytime the sign of the cross is made in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you'd be reminded of your baptism. And anytime we say glory be to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you remember your what? Your baptism. And anytime there's a hymn that mentions the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, remember your what? Baptism. That's whose name that we are baptized into. And we can't dodge this. Baptism now what? Saves you. You can't tap dance around that one. So in baptism, we're identified with Christ. In other words, friends in Christ, I'm saying our identity for us believers is now found in our baptism. Not in our career, not in our sexual orientation, not in our job, not with the friends we have or how cool we think we are. That's our identification. We've been given a new name. In our baptism liturgy, I'll look at the parents, and the liturgy says, how is this child to be named? Did anyone ever share with you the name that you were given at your baptism? I know my name. It's on my baptism certificate, Kurt Frederick Muse. So I look at the parents, and the parents will say, well, Winifred Faith Eckhoff, or Winifred, or maybe Winifred Faith. God knows who they are. But that's a name that we've given in baptism, our identity. There's other names that we give the believers. Christian, the way, the body of Christ. We're also given the name believers. Also given the name saints. Let me stop there. So last week, I'm walking through the school, and I go into the preschool, and somebody asked me, Pastor Muse, do you Lutherans have saints? I said, yeah. Well, how does one become a saint in the Lutheran church? Well, they're sort of referring to the Roman Catholic. You know, in the Roman Catholic church, if you live an exemplary life, you go above and beyond like Mother Teresa, you meet with the councils and the Pope, that you'll become sainted. But for us, we believers are saints. You believe you're forgiven, you're a saint. Now, I know it might sound odd, St. Kurt, or St. Bill, or St. Ed, or St. Susie, or whoever. In the Greek, saint means agios, holy ones. So yeah, we Lutherans have saints. Anyone who what? Believes and is forgiven as a saint. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the elect. That's the name we use, believers go by. How will be thy name? Do you hear about the kid who went to Sunday school? He came home and said, Mom, we learned about God. Oh yeah, what did Mom say? We learned that God's name is Henry. And mother looked at her son and said, Where'd you get that from? Well, we learned to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, Henry be thy name. No, it's not that. Okay. Hallowed be thy name. That's uh, not God's name. That's how we live our life. Let me go ahead and have you read to me, read with me from the small catechism. Can you do that? God's And we as the children of God lead holy lives according to it. Help us do this, dear Father in heaven. When we live lives of kindness and generosity and respect and tact, we live lives of graciousness and warmth, we live lives of obedience, that's hallowing God's name. We live lives of reverent faith and worship, we hallow God's name. We hallow God's name by the faithful, fruitful lives we live. We adore God's name. Hence, our church and school, how we live our lives, hallows God's name. How we present ourselves, hallows God's name. And this is the name and identity for our lives, our church, for our school. And you heard the children sing, This little light of mine, I'm let it shine. 
hallow God's name for our ministries. So how about this for a closing thought? I think it'll summarize things well. Read it with me. God's own child, I gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. He, because I could not pay it, gave full redemption price. Do I need earthly treasure many? I have one worth more than any that brought me salvation free, lasting to eternity. And all God's people say, Amen.